Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Last week, we had a bit of a, a standalone message, if you will. It wasn't a part of our series, but it was a prequel to the series that we're in right now called The Gift. Everybody say The Gift. Now, last week, we talked about the long journey of the people of God, the, the, the children of Israel, from this promise that was given to them that one day a king would come from their midst that a Messiah, a, a Christ would come and would rescue them. And we talked about the long, really hundreds and thousands of years for certain, certain promises were made to them and how time after time after time, they had every reason to believe that this thing was never going to happen. That maybe what we've read about, maybe what we've heard about is not actually true. They had many opportunities to give up on this promise and as they went from hand to hand, from this nation ruling over them to this nation ruling over them, and all of these different things, years of oppression and hardships until one day, out of, seemingly out of the blue, an angel shows up and speaks to a young virgin girl and says these words. Luke chapter 1, verse 28, Gabriel appears to her and said, greetings, favorite woman, the Lord is with you. And just like that, the promise that they'd been holding on to for thousands of years was fulfilled. In that moment, a promise that was made was now kept. And that's why we celebrate this season. That's what Christmas is all about. We're celebrating the promise of God given to not only the Jewish people, but as we've learned from then, all of humanity, all of mankind, the gift that God gave us when he gave us Jesus, the Son of God. He fulfilled his word. He fulfilled his promise. I want to start with a question. How many of you have ever been mad at someone and then, then they did the unthinkable and gave you a gift? <laughs> Not many people. Some of you need new friends. <laughs> you need new relationships. But I think we've all been there when you're in a conflict with somebody, you're mad at somebody, and then they give you, they give you something. You're like, wait a minute, you're not fighting fair now. And they, they bless you with something. And it just, it's hard to be mad at someone like that. It's hard to be mad at something, somebody when they give you something. And one of, actually, one of my favorite memes, and I don't know if you like memes, but I love memes. But one of my favorite memes is it's a picture of a dog, and he's hiding behind a couch. And the meme says, when you're mad at someone, but they ask you if you're hungry. And he kind of pokes his eye off the side. <laughs> it's just hard to be mad at people when they're giving you something. So as a side note... And this is not a part of the message, but husbands, this is for you. This is a valuable lesson. When you and your wife are at odds with one another, she's mad at you, you're mad at her, and she's like, I'm not cooking fin for yourself. Instead of going and buying dinner for yourself, go and buy dinner for her and flowers. Wives, that was your cue. 
Why am I telling you that? I'll tell you why. Because it's sometimes a gift changes everything. Sometimes that little act of blessing the person that's mad at you or that you're mad at can change everything. It changes the whole dynamic of your argument or your tension or your frustration. Gifts have a way of changing things. And as we begin this new Christmas series called The Gift, we're talking about, again, the greatest gift ever given to mankind, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that gift changed everything. When God gave us a gift in Jesus, it changed lives, it changed destinies, it changed human history. I'm not sure if you noticed, and I find this so ironic that those who don't even believe in Jesus, I'm a preacher, of course I would say this, but those who don't even believe in Jesus celebrate his birthday. They celebrate something called Christ Mass. And you're, when they do that, they're actually attesting to the gift that God gave us in Jesus without even, some cases, they don't even recognize that because society so hijacked the meaning of it, but they're celebrating his birthday. And in other cases, whether you know it or not, every time you sign an important document, you're attesting to the birth of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? I'll tell you how. Because every time you sign an important document, The thing that you sign right next to your name is what? The date. And when Jesus came, he literally split all of human history into two categories. We have what's called BC, which means before Christ. And we have AD, which a lot of people think means after death. It doesn't. It means Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. That's what Anno Domini means, the year of our Lord. So every time you sign a document and you put the date next to it, what you're doing is signifying the fact that Jesus came and split all of human history, and we are running our calendar according to his life. You can't escape this. He's everywhere. He's in all things. I love the song that says, from him comes all things, and to him goes all things. So, this gift changed everything. And I want to start with in a very unusual place as we begin this series. And I say it's unusual, yet it's the place that the Bible begins with this story. In the, so, in the Bible, you have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. And the New Testament begins with what book? Matthew. Somebody said earlier, Noah. It's not a book. Just joking. But the first book in the New Testament is the book of Matthew. Now, you have what's called the Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are four books that talk about the life of Jesus. And all four of these books come at the story of the life of Jesus from a different perspective. And they were all written to different audiences. And I've talked about this before. But out of those four books, only two of those books actually include the birth of Jesus, and that's the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. Now, these two books 
talk about this birth, and there's something else that they add to this story. But I want you to, again, each one of the authors of these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were speaking to a different audience, and they were making a different point. And I've talked about this before, but Mark was primarily written to the Romans. Luke was primarily written to the Gentiles. John was written to really all of humanity, proving the point that Jesus is the King, and He's the Son of God, excuse me, of all. But Matthew, where we're going to look at today, The book of Matthew was written primarily to the Jews. He was written to the Jews, and I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But Matthew and Luke both begin with something that when you read it, if you read it, you read it frustrated. And you wonder why you're reading it. Or you just skip over it. And it's called, everybody say this word with me, genealogy. The book of Matthew begins with the genealogy. What is the genealogy? It's the life of Jesus. I mean, excuse me, not the life. It's the the family tree, if you will, of Jesus. It's the lineage of his family. That's where the book of Matthew begins. Now, have you ever noticed that some products that you buy, um, they make a big deal out of what their source is? Like they tell you, if you're buying this, just know you're buying local because that's a big deal. Or it says you're buying organic because for a lot of people, that's a big deal. Or worse yet, you buy it and it's crawfish and shrimp and it's from China, (laughs) which I heard a rumor that that's where Cody buys all of his seafood from. What's Cody? (laughs) So if you eat Cody's gumbo, just know that you're supporting the Chinese. (laughs) He's not here again to defend himself. There he is. There he is. Y'all give it up for Cody. (laughs) Get closer, Cody. Come on, get closer. I got more. I'll be here all day. How about this one? Have you ever had a family member that you go to give them a gift and the first question out of their mouth is, where is it from? And that's so annoying. Instead of saying thank you, they're like, where'd you get this from? And let me let you in on a little secret of what they're really asking you. This is it's probably along the lines of this. For some of you, they're asking, did you steal this? Because they want to know that's important for their conscience. Did you steal this? Number two, they want to know, is this real? Or they want to know, is this expensive? That's what they're asking when they ask you, where did you get this from? Now, as we read the genealogy of Jesus, that's what we're talking about. Now, of course, we know he's the perfect son of God. He's the ancient of days. He always was. But in the form of human human flesh, this is the story, the origin of the source of the physical body of Jesus. He always existed. He's the ancient of days. He was there in the beginning. But as a physical man, this is his history. This is what led to him being born. And I want to read it. I want to share it with you this morning. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, this is what it says. It says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, if you notice, This genealogy starts in a different place 
than the Gospel of Luke's genealogy. Why is that important? Luke begins his genealogy, the Gospel of Luke, the third Gospel, he begins with Adam. And he goes all the way to Jesus. Actually, that one's backwards. Starts with Jesus and then works his way backwards. What's he trying to say? What he's trying to communicate, remember his audience. He's trying to communicate to all of humanity, or to the Gentiles rather, that the perfect man was Jesus. So the story he's telling is about Jesus as a perfect man. So the way that he sources it, he goes all the way back to the first man. To say that from the first man to this new man, all men have been flawed except for the perfect man, Jesus. Now, Matthew, Matthew begins his gospel, his genealogy with Abraham. Why Abraham? Because his gospel was written to the Jewish people. And the point that he was trying to make, don't miss this, look up here. The point that he was trying to make is this. For you Jewish people that have been waiting for the Messiah... He's come already. The son of Abraham, because Abraham was the father of the Jewish people, he's trying to prove the point to them that the man you've been waiting for, the Messiah you've been waiting for, he has come. And as he goes through this lineage, he starts with Abraham, the father of the faith, the father of the Jewish people, and he goes all the way to Jesus. And what he's saying is the gift that you've been waiting for The gift that's been promised to you is Jesus. And that's what we're looking at. Now, for those of you that don't know this, Jesus was a Jewish man. Jesus was not the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white man from France that you see in a lot of pictures. (laughs) He was also not, depending on the churches that you've been a part of, the black man with dreadlocks that you've seen on the mural behind your churches. Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jewish man. Now, the people on this list in this genealogy, this is important for you to know, this is Jesus' family. This is the line that led up to him. And I'm going I'm to prove, bring that I'm gonna, out to, to bear. I want you to see more about that in just a moment, but let's keep reading. Verse 3. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Right about there is where you normally check out when you're reading this, but bear with me. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon, and Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obat was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the wife of, excuse me, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Now let's stop there for a moment. So I just said that this, these are the family members of Jesus. And given that we're in the Christmas season and many of you just spent time with family members around Thanksgiving, this statement that I'm getting ready to say is going to reign true with you. Certain family members have to be explained before they're experienced. It's true. We all have family members that are crazy. 
And if you are sitting back and thinking, I don't have any weird people in my family, it is you. (laughs) Self-awareness is a good thing. We all have those people that, I mean, remember when you were bringing your, your soon-to-be wife or soon-to-be husband around your family, what did you do? You, you brought them in and you said, hey, listen, um, so if you see my uncle, just don't make eye contact. Just, just keep walking. And my aunt, she, she's going to ask you for money. Don't give it to her, whatever you do. The whole family's made a pact. Nobody's giving her money anymore. Why? Because we all have family members that we're not proud of. We all have things in our family lineage that we're not proud of, things that we don't talk about or things we choose to ignore. And can I help you with something this morning? This is important for you to know. Even in Jesus' family, he had the same thing. Even in the family of the perfect son of God, he had the same thing. Now, out of the names that I've just mentioned, I want to talk about a few of them. Abraham, the father of the faith, right? And so the Christians look at him as our patriarch. The Jewish people look at him as our patriarch. Even the Muslims look at him as a patriarch, even though it's somewhat twisted and distorted. But this great man of faith that the Bible talks about was also known for his lies. He was also known for when him and his wife were in various places, if he felt any danger or he felt that someone was going to want his wife and endanger his life, he would just tell them, that's not my wife, that's my sister. And he was known for those lies. Another one of those great people in that great line of history is Jacob. This is what the Bible tells us about Jacob. His very name means trickster or deceiver. That's what Jacob means. It means trickster or deceiver. And God had to break his hip and then change his name to get his purpose accomplished in Jacob's life. And when God changed his name, he changed his name from Jacob, trickster, deceiver, to Israel. One who wrestles with God and overcomes. Jacob, I mean, Israel becomes this great nation, the nation of Israel. That man, Israel, has 12 sons, and they go, they go on to become the 12 tribes of Israel. These are the people in Jesus' family line. One of those sons from Jacob was a man named Judah. And many of you know of Jesus that we call him the lion of what? Judah. Well, let's talk about Judah just for a moment. Did you know that after the passing of Judah's wife, that he went out and hired a prostitute and got her pregnant, only to find out that that wasn't really a prostitute, it was actually his daughter-in-law? Listen, some of you need to read your Bible instead of watch TV. <laughs> this is what I mean by that, because the Bible's alive. You can read your Bible sometimes and you're like, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> And listen, out of those stories, that's just, that's the first, that's in the first four names in the genealogy of Jesus. The Bible is making a point to us 
And if you're here and you're wondering, what about the ladies Pastor Gabe mentioned? First of all, let me say this. No greater, no man has ever come who've given more redemptive rights to women than Jesus. Jesus came. And in this family line, we see him talk about the life of women. Or excuse me, mention the names of these women. Well, who were these great women? Let me tell you who these great women were. Tamar, for instance. You want to know who Tamar was? She was that daughter-in-law that pretended to be a prostitute so that she could sleep with her father-in-law and conceive a child. That's who Tamar was. Another woman listed in this is Rahab. And most scholars believe that this woman, Rahab, is the same Rahab in the book of Joshua. When the children of Israel were getting ready to attack Jericho, and the Bible says a prostitute named Rahab, an actual prostitute, hid them and protected them. And that prostitute went on to be in the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews and talked highly of. But nonetheless, she was a prostitute. This is in the family line of Jesus. How about Ruth, the other woman mentioned in Jesus' family tree? Well, who was Ruth? She has an entire book dedicated to her in the Bible. And she was an incredible woman, but there's something about her that you need to know that you may have never caught in reading it. She was a Moabite woman. Well, Pastor, who were the Moabites? I'm so glad you asked. The Moabites were the descendants of a relationship between Lot and his older daughter in incest. And they became a race of people called the Moabites. This is who was in the family line of Jesus, the perfect, spotless son of God. It's not done. Let's talk further about a man named Obed. Obed was the father of David. And so this man, Obed, excuse me, Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, this man, Jesse, whenever the prophet was coming and saying, hey, I, I, I want to choose from your sons the king of Israel, you know what Jesse did with David? He hid him in a field. And he said, you take care of the sheep while I bring your brothers in to be picked by the prophet to be the king of Israel. Didn't even acknowledge his son, David. Yet that was the man that God picked. And some scholars actually believe that David, the reason why that he was probably slighted by his dad is that he was born out of an affair between his father and someone that was not his wife. And the reason why they believe that is because David himself says, in sin did my mother conceive me. David says that. So that's a very likely possibility. Even with that, David became the greatest king in Israel's history, a great man. And we all know the story of David killing Goliath, right? We know that we may not know many stories in the Bible, but we know that one, right? And he has the sling and he kills Goliath. Well, those are the high points of David's life. Let's talk about some of the low points in David's life. One of the low points in David's life is when he was Sitting in his castle overlooking the city, he saw a woman bathing. And he decided to have that woman brought to him and sleep with her. And he slept with her, excuse me. Here's the problem. She was a married woman. And she became pregnant with David's child. And David tried to cover it and smooth it over so that nobody would know. But when he couldn't, he used his power and his influence to have her husband 
killed. So David murders a man after sleeping with his wife. It's not one of David's high points. You want to know who that woman was? Her name is listed in the genealogy as well. Her name is Bathsheba. And after that child died, David decided they're going to do this thing right. He marries Bathsheba, and she has another child, or many other children, but one of them is named Solomon. And we know of Solomon. He was the wisest man to ever live next to Jesus, one of the wealthiest kings that the world has ever seen. And in his great wealth, he starts off great. God gives him great wisdom. But you want to know how he ended? As a backslidden king. He married. He did what God said not to do. And he married many pagan women. And he ended up worshiping their false gods. That's who Solomon was. That's who was in the family tree of Jesus. One more. Solomon had a son. And his name was Rehoboam. And this king, Rehoboam, was so insecure as a leader, so insecure that he listened to all of the wrong advisors around him. When when the good, the wise advisors were saying, listen, take some pressure off of the people. You're taxing them too much. You're putting too much pressure on them to produce, produce, produce. You should take a, a step back. He listened to the younger leaders, the insecure leaders along with them, and they said, no, press the people, and you show them that if they thought Solomon was bad, you'll be much worse than them. And in that insecurity and in the pressure that he put on those people, that's what caused the nation of Israel to divide. And from that moment on, you had two countries instead of one. You had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. They divided. And things were never the same after that, all because of Rehoboam's insecurity. Are y'all tracking with me? This is the family tree of Jesus. And I won't go into all of them because many of them have names that I don't feel like trying to pronounce. But from Rehoboam came a line of kings, most of which who were wicked. You had some good ones like Hezekiah. You had some good ones like Josiah. But most of them were wicked men who turned God's people further and further away from God to false idols, false gods. This is the family tree of Jesus. Pastor, what's the point? Why are you telling us, why are you giving us this history lesson? Because I want you to see something. Every person in this room, hear me. When Jesus comes, when the gift comes, he changes everything. He changes everything. The family line of Jesus, as you can tell, was pretty messed up, just like yours and just like mine. From this family, though, comes the family that God allows us to be a part of, the family of God. This brand new kingdom, this brand new spiritual family that Jesus begins. And what does he do? What did he do? He redeemed the past. He takes an unrighteous line and he creates a brand new line of righteousness for us to follow. And he gives us not our own righteousness. He gives us his righteousness. And he takes our past, listen to me, and he washes our past away and he gives us a brand new present and a brand new future. 
When that gift comes into your life, it changes everything. Nothing's the same. When you come, excuse me, where you come from, very important for you to know. Where you come from does not determine where you're going. And everybody in the church needs to hear this. Where you come from does not determine where you are going. Your willingness to follow Jesus determines your future. That's what determines where you're going. Now, for many of us, if we're being honest, for many of us, we go through life thinking, you know what, I'm okay. I'm a good person. Can I just tell you, there's no such thing. And here's a very, it's very truthful. At times it feels hard, but it's gracious when you understand it. There is no such thing as a good person. Have you ever talked to somebody and say, man, you should come to church with me. You really, you need Jesus in your life. And they go, I'm not going. I'm not a bad, I'm a good person. Well, how do you judge that? Well, I've never killed anybody. As if that's the one standard of righteousness. Can I just tell you, when, when we stand before God, there's only one that we're judged up against. And it's Jesus. It's not, I'm like everybody else around me, because I fear sometimes we do that. We, we excuse the stuff in our life, the sin in our life, because everybody around us does the same thing. Well, they do it, and they do it, and they're supposed to be leaders, and they do it, and they're supposed to be Christians, and they do it, and they're supposed Can I just tell you, none of that excuses us away when we stand before a holy and a righteous God. When you stand before him, hear me. It's not you and all your friends. It's you and him. It's you standing before the righteous judge, the sinless, perfect judge of the universe. And we, in that moment, there's no category for a good person in that moment. It's you and a holy, righteous God. C.S. Lewis said something along the lines of this. He says, if you, wanna, if you ever want to judge the straightness of a stick or how crooked a stick is, put it up against a straight one. If you want to tell if a stick is crooked, put it against a straight one. That's what our judgment is. When we stand before God, it's us against the righteous life of Jesus. So there is no I'm good enough. And regardless of what the movies and TV, or maybe even what you grew up in church hearing, there's no, according to the Bible, there's no good me. There's only a me who needs Jesus. And we all receive that gift the same way, humbly. Humbly. That's how we come to God. We come to him the same way that I talked about the, the line of, of people in the story of Jesus. It's all the same, full of lies, full of deceit, guilt, shame. For many of you, sexual immorality, right? Harming people, bitterness, anger. We all come to God the same way, full of those things. And the one question that you hear when you stand before God the prerequisite is not, were you a good person? Because as I mentioned, that's not a thing. The prerequisite is, what did you do with the gift that I gave you? Because I sent you righteousness when I sent you my son. I sent you the ability to have all of your sins forgiven and washed away when I sent you my son. When we, we celebrate Christmas, that's what we're celebrating. 
the perfect, spotless, sinless son of God who came into the world to save you. Not the, just the whole world as some blanket statement. No, no, no. He came for your sin. He came for your guilt. He came for the things that separate you from God personally because guess what? He loves you. And when we stand before God, that's the question one day. What did you do with Jesus? Again, I'm going to skip over some names. I want to read this last scripture to you. Matthew chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. This is what it says. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who call, who's called the Messiah. All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from Babylonian exile to the Messiah. What is this word Messiah? What does that mean? The word Messiah is the Hebrew word for the word anointed one. The Greek word for that term anointed one is Christ. So if you didn't know that, Christ is not Jesus's last name. It wasn't Joseph and Mary Christ and then Jesus Christ was born. Christ is his title. Christ is who he is. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. So when we say anointed, what does that mean, Pastor? I'm not familiar with this, this church language. In the Old Testament, when a person was anointed, it meant that God chose them and set them apart for a special purpose. David in the Bible, in that moment I talked about when the prophet came to pick the next king of Israel, he chose David and poured oil on him and anointed him as the next king of Israel. Saul in the Bible was anointed with oil, the king of Israel. Aaron, in the, in the, Mo, the brother of Moses, was anointed with oil to be the high priest of Israel. So that term anointing is when someone pours oil on them, puts oil on them. And how many of you know, that's messy. I mean, if you imagine if I showed up at your house and was like, God told me to anoint you, and I just pull out some Crisco, and I just <laughs> go to town. You'd be like, thanks, I guess, but now I got to clean all this mess up. Jesus is the anointed one. He's the one that was prophesied about for, for thousands of years, talked about one day this great anointed one would come and rescue all of humanity. I like to think about it like this, and I'm closing. From the messiness of our past comes the Messiah to clean up that mess. Anointed, understanding our mess, understanding our temptations, understanding our weaknesses, understanding the damage that we caused that we may not have intended. We chose the sin, but we didn't know what it was going to cost. And can I just tell you this? This is how the devil works. He tempts you and he tempts you and he tempts you and he shows you how beautiful the thing that he's tempting you with is. But what he doesn't show you is what's it going to cost you. All the way back when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they weren't thinking how this was going to devastate all of humanity. But even in that moment, God came and made a promise. 
when he was bringing judgment on the serpent and judgment on Adam and judgment on Eve, he told the serpent, he said, one day, the seed of the woman, not seeds, plural, the seed of the woman. And many of you know this, but women don't carry seed. Women have to have a man to carry the seed, to impregnate them with the seed. But God made a promise, even in the very beginning, that the seed of the woman, there was only one woman who's ever carried a baby without the seed of a man, and that was the Virgin Mary. And she carried the seed, and she gave birth to the seed that would crush the head of the serpent. That was a promise made, even back then, about this Messiah that would come to clean up our mess. So as I close, I close with this. When the gift comes, everything changes. And all you have to do when a gift is given is receive it. You know, I, I had a few gifts that I had shipped to here so that I can give to some dear people that I love. And the problem was when UPS showed up, we weren't here. So they left, instead of leaving the gift, they left the dreaded sticky on the door that we tried. Can I just say this? Please don't let that be your life. When the gift comes, all you have to do is be there and receive it. And the gift that he came is for you. As I mentioned, it's not for all just the world and some blanket statement. The gift came so that your sins could be forgiven so that you can be made right with God, so that you can have a relationship with God. That's what he wants. All he wants is you. When you stand before God, what God wants, what he wants you to be able to say is, I heard Jesus' call to me. Come, follow me, and I obeyed it. I received the gift of who he is, and I followed him. And we call that here in our church being born again. Why do we call it that? Because Jesus, when speaking with a religious leader named Nicodemus in the Bible, a scholar of the Old Testament, Jesus told this man, he said, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. You can't even see God's family. You can't even see eternal life unless you are first born again. And that is exactly how it sounds. The you the family tree, the lineage, the sin, the guilt, it all culminates in a moment where the old you dies and the new you is raised to life and you're born again in Jesus. And if you're wondering how you do that, it's a very simple process. It's as simple as ABC. And the reason why we can call it simple is because when Jesus died on the cross, he did the complex part. He did the hard part. For our part is very simple. A, you admit. Admit what, Pastor? The truth. That you're a sinner. That there's sin in your heart, sin in your life, sin in your daily practice that separates you from God. That the little white lies that you share, they're not little to God. They're a big deal because they are costing you eternal life. You admit those things. You admit that you're a sinner. Look up here, everyone. Don't, don't be distracted in this moment especially. B, you believe. 
Believe what? That God sent Jesus as that gift to die on the cross for your sin. For your sin. You have to believe that. It's not a storybook. It's not just a good book. It's not a great TV show or a great movie. It's the truth. And in see you confess. What's your confession? That Jesus is now your Lord. Not only is he Lord of all, but that you're committing your heart to follow him. That you're willing to bow your knee and say, I will follow you with my life. I will do life your way. In that confession, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again from the dead on the third day with a brand new life. And it's with that brand new life that you give me new life. So if that's you and you're here and you say, Pastor, I want that for my life. I want to be born again. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be a part of this family of God. I have a past. I have a family line. I'm a part of that family line. But if God loves me enough to give me a new life, I want to be born again. And I want to pray for you if that's you. I want everybody in this place to close your eyes and to bow your hands. And I want to give you a moment just between you and God. So I'm going to ask that no one look around because I want to give this as a sacred moment between you and God. If you're here and you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm far from him. And I want to surrender to him. I want to answer that call. I want to receive that gift. I want to be born again. I'm not going to embarrass you. And I want to give you this moment. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to just lift up one hand because I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with. And I want you to acknowledge what you're doing in this moment. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else, don't be ashamed. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. Lift it up high. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands too in front. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Praise God. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand back there. God be praised. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. You can put him down. Listen, if you didn't raise your hand and you say, that is me, Pastor, but I was, I was scared. I didn't want to lift it up front. I, I was embarrassed. Listen, we've, all of us who are children of God have had this moment where we've made that step that I'm following him. So I'm going to give you one more opportunity. If you didn't lift up your hand, lift it up now. One, two, three. Lift it up. Lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Yeah. You can put them down. With every eye closed, every head bowed, if you raise your hand, just look up at me. Just you. Because I want to acknowledge something with you. This is the beginning of a brand new journey. I don't ever want you to forget this moment because from this moment on, your life changes. From this moment on, your sins are forgiven. And you have a fresh start with God. You can look back down. Now, church, I want you to pray this prayer out loud with all of these precious saints that are getting born again today. Say these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame.
I believe you faced hell so I would not have to. And you rose again from the dead on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, and a relationship with the Father. So I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. Holy Spirit, you are my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer to be born again. Yeah. Listen to me. If you prayed that prayer, I don't want anybody to move wrong because this is a very special moment. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. And you may be wondering, what now? Yeah, come on, we can give it up one more time for that. You may be wondering, what now? First thing I want you to do is to set in your heart, keep coming. If you don't live in this area, find a church that you can go and learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Begin, you've begun this journey, now walk it out. Become what we call, what the Bible calls a disciple, a disciplined learner, a follower of Jesus. Also, just tell someone about the decision you made, whether someone in here or we have our, our cue card, a blue connect card in the pew pocket in front of you. You can take that card, fill it out, or you can pull out your phone and scan the QR code and do it online. But just tell someone about the decision you made, and we'd love to help you with that journey. Thank you for that decision. You'll never regret it. Everybody stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you now and release you and Hopefully I get to see you outside and meet you, shake your hand if I've never gotten to connect with you personally. But I'll, I want to pray. Also, as a reminder, our, our prayer partners are going to be here up front. If you need prayer for anything, they'd love to pray for you. A health diagnosis, a financial challenge, something in your soul. Whatever you need prayer for, we're going to have prayer partners here to pray for and with you. Let's pray and on your way out, meet me out there and let's eat some gumbo together. Father, we thank you. I thank you for your people. I pray that you would bless them. God, I pray that you would make your face to shine on them, that you would bless them in their going out and in their coming in, and that you would be gracious to them. Lord, I pray that you would prosper all that they put their hands to for the sake of your kingdom and for your great name. And as a church, I pray that we would be a pure church who walks in the fear of the Lord, that we would be a powerful church who walks in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we would be a persistent church even in the face of setbacks and challenges. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.